we're designed a specific way for a specific reason. You know, these hormones, this cycle, the process of having a period serves very real purposes. So stopping that for years, if not decades, definitely impacts the person. And I think we're seeing this now with plummeting fertility rates mm. because the thought process here is I don't want my fertility right now. It's inconvenient. And then the day I want it, I want it to happen now. And we're surprised that it's not there. Welcome back to the show, friends. Today, I had Kaylee McDevitt in the studio, who is a wealth of information on all things female hormonal health and metabolism. And this one is jam-packed. If you are a woman who is seeking radical health and you've had birth control, the contraceptive pill, or just conundrums on your health journey, this one is a surefire hit for all of your nutritional needs. And if you know somebody that is taking birth control, send this to them, share this podcast because it is jam-packed with incredible insights and information. We talk about the pill, of course. We talk about unique nutritional needs. We talk about motherhood. We talk about all kinds of stuff, finding your way in a very busy, go, 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 stressed out world, and a little bit of philosophy sprinkled in as well. It's very fun. It's the first female guest we've had on the show, and it was an absolute pleasure. So please share this. Of course, we have our callers on the line. We talk about autoimmune diseases. We talk about oxalate dumping and histamine issues. We talk about dietary fat role in creation of steroid hormones and we talk about the cycle and different nutritional needs throughout it. Kaylee is a pleasure to chat to and a wealth of information. You guys and gals are really going to enjoy this one. Let's get into the show. Hello, you radical health seeker. Welcome back to the show. We've got a very special show today because we have our first female guest on the podcast. We've got Miss Kaylee McDevitt, who's a registered dietitian. And I want to start like obviously introducing yourself and all of that fun stuff. But we were talking before we got on air about something that resonated with me too, that you kind of had to go through your pain teacher story of being failed by the medical system so you could come back with all this juicy wisdom for female health and hormonal health and helping others. So the floor is yours. Introduce yourself. Tell us a bit of that story and then we'll get into this today's podcast. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Honored to be the first female guest. Let's go. Like, <laughs> Thank it. you. Thank you for letting me take that spot. Yes. Um, yeah, like like you mentioned, I'm a registered dietitian and I specialize in women's health. So I run a private practice where my team and I help women overcome typically longstanding hormone health issues, resolve infertility, mm. gut stuff kind of in the mix with that. But I took this path toward dietetics for a very different reason. I grew up an athlete. I was a marathon runner for a while. And I wanted to be in sports nutrition. Mm -hmm. I was like, mm -hmm. that's for me. That's what I'm going to do. I work with athletes. And as fate would have it, I was put on birth control in high school and was on it for the better part of 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that 10 years was pretty much all of my schooling, like formal education to become a dietitian. And I was dealing with crazy hormone health issues, lots of symptoms, lots of anxiety. I was routinely seeing OBGYNs and asking, hey, does this have anything to do with the birth control that I'm taking? And I was being told no. I was being told if that was a symptom from birth control, it would have started 10 years ago when mm. you started it. It wouldn't show up now. And so there was a lot of gaslighting going on. And I finished my schooling to become a dietitian. And this is like seven years of formal education in health and realize I don't know anything mm. about the menstrual cycle. I don't know anything about hormone production or how hormonal birth control works. And that's a problem mm -hmm. <laughs> someone mm -hmm. in the health space. So I ended up spending all of my free time researching this, taking myself off birth control, kind of walking that path of restoring that connection to myself. 
And I was chronicling this on a blog at the time because I wasn't working in that space, but Mm -hmm. I needed an outlet. And I kind of looked up and realized there were a lot of other women hungry for that information. Mm -hmm. So pivoted away from sports toward women's health. And that was about 10 years ago and haven't looked back. The rest, as they say, (laughs) is history. Yeah, That's a very familiar story, I think, for a lot of women that are going to be listening and a lot of women that don't even know they need this information yet. And that's a big kind of the elephant in the room, right? Like you don't know what you don't know. And you had to kind of break before you could figure this thing out for yourself. And thankfully you did because a lot of people then, like you said, the gaslighting, that's so common in this space that, no, it it couldn't possibly be that. So it must Mm -hmm. be something else. And you mentioned other symptoms and you referred to them as hormonal symptoms Mm -hmm. like anxiety and and mood and things like that so just how common do you believe that this is um incredibly common both from birth control and not on birth control i think we're kind of inundated with the constellation of hormone health issues Mm -hmm. and you know we see this with the like pretty alarming decline in fertility yes um because whether or not you're trying to conceive now fertility is a reflection of hormone health it's a reflection of full body health really Mm -hmm. it's it's a vital sign so um i mean hormone health symptoms are are rampant yeah and we're gonna definitely talk about the pill and contraceptive methods and all of that stuff but before we even get to that what else is at play here because we it's not all that right it's been steady worsening declining of our health for for a few Mm -hmm. decades now so there's obviously some other stuff going on maybe it's lifestyle maybe it's diet from your perspective what are you seeing a lot of that's kind of these multifaceted red flags Yeah, I mean, I think nutrition is a big part of this. Obviously, that's the field in which I work and where we spend a lot of our time with our clients. And even as someone that, you know, became a registered dietitian, spent years in school studying nutrition, I mean, I ended that program very confused about nutrition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I always like to share that because I think it's it's helpful to know like everybody kind of feels this way Mm -hmm. with nutrition. Like you have to do some experimenting and you also have to do some critical thinking for yourself. Mm. It's not enough to say, oh, the experts in this space say this is how I should eat. Mm. Um, So I'm sure we'll get into that a lot. But the nutrition piece is a big issue and has led to like rampant fertility decline. Um, The lifestyle that we largely lead in this country is not how humans are supposed to live. Mm -hmm. We have so much stress. We're not outside. We're hunched up behind a computer screen under fluorescent lights Mm -hmm. all day. We're like breathing shallow into the chest. We don't connect with humans in person Mm -hmm. as often as we should. And when we look at optimal fertility and hormone health, that comes from a body that feels safe. And we have to look at food, we have to look at lifestyle, and we have to look at, you know, thoughts and beliefs as part of that too. Yeah, I feel like you, you you can't signal to the body that it's a safe environment to recreate life if you're right. living in scarcity, right? Absolutely. And what you said, I think it's a, a young quote. He says something along the lines of too much domestication of the animal will make it sick. And you look at animals in zoos and they're alive, but they're not necessarily thriving. Right. And you would say that hormonal health and the ability to get pregnant naturally is an aspect of thriving and being yep. able to you know carry that full term and give birth and all of those things. So... What I wanted to touch on, because you did, and I think it's wonderful, is this idea of continuing your education, not just saying, okay, I'm an an Addy now, I've made it, because we know that not all Addies are created equal. Mm -hmm. Like, not all doctors are created equal. Not all people's uh, capacity to continue learning or critically think and then run the experiment for themselves, because I've seen some pretty shocking advice from registered dietitians. And then I've seen some (laughs) ones that are, like, stellar in their Mm -hmm. advice, like yourself. So what's, what's going on there? Is it just that these... Is that the education kind of broken and it is requiring you to just continue that path and self-investigate and what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to like even early school, like elementary years and kind of how how we're losing the ability to critically think 
and losing the ability to think for ourselves, really. You know, we go to school and we're, we're taught information and we have to recite that information on a test. Mm. That's, you know, the standard for the state. And then we go to college and we keep doing the same. So I didn't leave school thinking like I could really think for myself, but I was really good at recalling what I was taught. Yeah, right. And I think that that's a lot of us. And so that's a systemic problem. It's not just, you know, the RD schooling or MD schooling. But with nutrition specifically, you know, we all eat. We have to eat every day. So relegating the responsibility of learning about that to just a select few doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Like we all have to learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. So I think normalizing the experimentation is a big thing that we do with clients and I think we can get really rigid with nutrition and it almost becomes like a religion. Mm -hmm. And then we're completely disconnected from what feels good to us. Mm -hmm. So knowing like, hey, you can gather information, you can consult with experts, and then you got to try some stuff on. You got to see what feels good. And then you keep what works. You let go of what doesn't and stay fluid with it. And I know it was hard for me to let go of some of the stuff I was taught. It's a lot of unlearning going on and kind of belief systems shattered on that healing journey. But that's freedom, right? When Mm -hmm. you can make these decisions for yourself. Yeah, it's it's becoming an adult in so many ways because right. adultism isn't defined by mm-hmm. age. You don't magically become an adult at 18 or 25. Right. There's many 50-year-olds that are still stuck in a child archetype mm-hmm. of exactly what you were just saying. Well, the experts say this, so I'm just going to eat it hook, line, and sinker, and I'm never going to question it. Even if I'm getting injured in the process, mm-hmm. It's that's the way it should be. And I think you're dead right. I think the school system teaches people what to think, not how to think. And that gets us in trouble because life is very complex Mm -hmm. and there are very polarizing views. In in this space in particular, you've got the extreme ends of strict carnivorism, Mm -hmm. nothing but beef and salt. And then you've got veganism, nothing but plants. And then you've got this whole thing going on in the middle and understanding that people are as different on the inside as they are on the outside. They need different things at different times. Mm -hmm. Male and female physiology is different controversial yeah. <laughs> topic for today's yeah. conversation but these these nuances are very very important and you have to meet people where they're at right yeah totally what would you say then from a nutritional standpoint before we get into the contraceptive stuff you mentioned there's obvious factors with <clears throat> processed foods and living less of a human life that we've lived yeah. for a long time what are some of the biggest elephants in the room here around nutritional inadequacies uh, and spe- specifically as it's kind of given the information is given to women from a hormonal perspective or a reproductive health perspective yeah i think we have a lot of reliance on processed foods Mm -hmm. so things that are so far removed from the actual food that we're not only not getting the nutrients that the original food supplied but we're also getting a lot of things in there that take nutrients from us whether Mm -hmm. it's from creating a state of inflammation so we're sapping resources maybe there's some actual compounds in there that are binding to important resources Mm -hmm. that we don't get So the net is we lose nutrients. And we talked about the idea of creating safety in the body to create fertility. If we don't have nutrients to manufacture hormones and neurotransmitters, we don't feel safe. Mm. Um, So I think the processed foods thing, the really crappy oils that are used everywhere is a big problem in particular with the hormone conversation Mm -hmm. because we manufacture hormones from cholesterol, from Mm -hmm. fat. Um, I think the like leaning toward plant-based eating, which is for some reason commonly targeted towards women. Yeah. Um, I was having a conversation with some friends about this recently. And uh, for some reason, when people learn I'm a dietitian, they're like, oh, so you don't eat meat. Yeah. I'm like, where did this, where did this come from? So there's this connotation that plant-based eating is healthier. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of women fall into that state where they're like, maybe I'll skip the steak and I'm going to choose tofu or, you know, you know, something that's lighter or something that's more 
feminine for some reason. Yes. <laughs> so we end up taking someone that has a great nutrient requirement, especially if procreation is a goal, mm. and we've given them foods that don't have nutrients that are readily available. Mm. It's so interesting that point you made about uh, meat being almost masculinized right. and it's not like woman-like to eat mm -hmm. a steak. It's, it's funny because I'm recalling one of my very first dates with my now wife, and she took me as the English person in America to Texas Roadhouse where she ordered <laughs> a... Uh, What's the big like soppy ribeye like cooked oh, yeah. rare and ate that steak and I was like I'm into this. She's this the is one. cool. She's the one. So, <laughs> but it's so funny. You're right. This uh, growing trend or this growing popularity and pull to you know the plant based movement is as we know devoid of many of the key micronutrients. It yeah. usually skews macronutrients in an unfavorable way. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a huge issue of these seed oils. And I I'm curious because you mentioned a big word: the hormones. And mm -hmm. in female physiology. In, on all physiology, it's important, but female hormones, I think, are very misunderstood and how they're built on things like cholesterol, mm -hmm. another big, you know, fear-mongering yeah. word, but that's surely bad, isn't it? And mm -hmm. saturated fat, surely bad. So why don't you give us the kind of like high-level perspective of the female hormones like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone sure. even, and, you know, kind of like a, a segue into the nutritional backbone of these? Sure. Yeah, so we're really looking at three main sex hormones. We could get a little further into the weeds, but I don't think that's necessary. So estrogen and progesterone are typically what we think of for like female sex yeah. hormones. Women do make testosterone too, and it's very important for them as well. But estrogen is the proliferative hormone. Mm -hmm. It's what's building up the endometrial lining. It's what's creating that nice home for potential baby to grow in. And estrogen is typically associated with women, and we think of it as like the female sex hormone, but mm -hmm. progesterone is arguably even more important and mm -hmm. only present if we ovulated. And that'll be an important thing to come back to mm -hmm. when we get into contraception. But once you ovulate, you make progesterone, and progesterone stabilizes the work that estrogen did. Mm -hmm. So it's making sure that it doesn't grow too much. It's making sure everything stays in check. And it's also keeping your stress hormones at bay. Mm -hmm. So progesterone is like nature's anti-anxiety. It promotes sleep. It stimulates the thyroid. It keeps adrenaline and cortisol from being out of control. Progesterone is like that grounded, strong female presence. Mm. And I think we're a generation deprived of progesterone from all the things that we discussed. Um, and then testosterone, of course, in somewhat smaller quantities in women is important for drive, for mm -hmm. lean muscle mass development, for metabolism. And the thing that these three sex hormones have in common is they are steroid sex hormones, meaning they come from a cholesterol backbone. Hmm. So we can't manufacture sex hormones if we are deficient in cholesterol. And it's something that we look at in our clients when we do blood work is we look at, you know, of course, a lipid panel. Mm -hmm. And you're typically told only information about cholesterol being too high yeah, right. and everything else gets like a gold star. But we see low cholesterol pretty routinely hmm. in our clients. And how can we expect someone to make hormones if they don't have the raw materials. Yeah, that's such an interesting take. It's fascinating. I'm curious about this. Um, in, in, in female health, what's gaining more popularity is this idea of estrogen dominance. Mm -hmm. And is that rising so prominently because of a progesterone deficiency? Yeah, I think that that's a really big part of it. I do think that there's an excess estrogen situation for sure. And that's from the food supply. It's mm -hmm. from hormonal birth control. It's from toxins that we get exposed to in the air and the water. But we're also not making any progesterone or not mm. making much. And if you are on hormonal birth control and that works by shutting off ovulation, we make zero progesterone, mm. none um, for the duration that you're on that. Damn. And then if you're not on hormonal birth control and you are a cycling female, but you have a lot of stress in your life, we're also not making much progesterone either. So there's so much um, up against progesterone production mm. right now in modern human life. 
it's really interesting to hear you talk about the link here with something like anxiety, which mm -hmm. isn't often thought of as a, I guess, like a physiological um, problem or a hormonal problem. It's always just confined to the mind mm -hmm. or like, oh, it's familial. My family has anxiety. I was born with anxiety, yeah. but it seems like there's a lot more going on to that. And mm -hmm. the again, that anxious brain is not signaling safety, right? So yeah. With this progesterone piece, with this diet piece in the room, what is something that people should be prioritizing, should be thinking of to nutritionally first mm -hmm. build a plate that's supportive of this? You mentioned things like cholesterol and, mm -hmm. and nutrient-dense foods. What's your take? Yeah. yeah, good healthy fats, of course. Um, protein, adequate mm -hmm. protein that's actually absorbable to mm -hmm. you. And fat-soluble vitamins. So vitamin A is one that I nerd out about a lot yeah. in this space. And we need vitamin A in the retinol form mm -hmm. specifically, which is only animal products. Mm -hmm. This is like my biggest argument against plant-based eating in the mm -hmm. women's health space is where are we getting that retinol? Because we can't unless we're including animal sources. And you can convert beta carotene, the plant-based vitamin A, to retinol, but in very poor it's very low, right? Yeah. Yep. So we need those fat-soluble vitamins. We need adequate bioavailable protein. We need enough fats. And then we need enough carbohydrate in our diet too. Mm -hmm. And that's part of minimizing the stress, minimizing the cortisol and adrenaline mm -hmm. that we tend to ride on if we've got low blood sugar. So a good like macro-balanced meal made up of real foods and mm -hmm. animal products. Yeah, that's a good evolution of, of more of this animal-based approach now, which stemmed originally from a carnivore standpoint, right. which was very protein and fat-centric, but yep. very much kind of like in the war against carbs world mm -hmm. and seeing that there's long-term consequences of that, right? And I mean, yep. we could look at evolution and make an argument that for certain periods of time, we would be in deep ketosis right. forced from yep. fasting or from an, an inability to access fruits. But this piece, again, of stress mm -hmm. and scarcity, if you are constantly carb-restricted all the time yep. and running stressful pathways mm -hmm. like glucose neogenesis breaking down muscle tissue it's not signaling yeah. abundance so no. I, I like this more balanced take it sounds kind of like what you're describing in terms of protein and nutrient-dense food mm -hmm. vitamin a we're no big fans of liver here yeah. it's almost sounding like the animal-based diet wouldn't be too far away from something oh, like yeah. your framework absolutely and another big piece of that is choosing foods that provide nutrients in a very easy to digest yeah. format you know, if we are limited on time with a client and we're trying to restore fertility, we need to make sure that the foods that they're eating are readily usable to them. Mm -hmm. And we're not having to put a bunch of work on the digestive tract here that mm -hmm. shouldn't be there, mm -hmm. especially because your average human stress level is a lot higher than it should be. Yes. So we're not digesting very well when we're stressed. Mm -hmm. So if we look at animal products, if we look at fruit, if we look at honey, a lot of the things supported by, you know, the carnivore mm -hmm. diet, uh, carnivore plus <laughs> plus fruit and honey, yes. I guess. Um those are really easy to digest mm -hmm. foods. And what's cool is we'll often get clients that are eating, this was me too, so I can I can level with this, eating massive salads, like huge, as big as my head salad. big ass salad, right? Big ass salad, yeah. yes. <laughs> because more vegetables must be better than some, and I need to eat a ton of them to feel full, mm -hmm. so I'm gonna eat this big salad. So we'll go from that to a lot less vegetables, bringing in some fresh fruit, which a lot of times had been cut out because we were scared of carbs yeah, for so right. many decades. And it's like an instantaneous change in energy and digestion. Yeah. Because now we're actually getting these nutrients and we're not putting a ton of fiber into the digestive tract and hoping for the best while mm. we're stressed. Yeah. I know probably overwhelmingly your messaging and work with clients is kind of saving them from the sad standard western diet mm -hmm. but i'm wondering also do you see these kind of 
recovering uh, sugar, fear-mongering people that have been just running such high amounts of stress and trying to try and convince them like, hey, it's okay to eat some fruit. It's okay yeah. to eat some raw dairy and some honey. <laughs> is, that a, is that commonly in this space as well? Yes. And I'd say that's even more common for the clients we serve now. Wow. I think years ago, it was more, you know, standard American diet coming over. But now it's people realize the standard American diet wasn't working for them. Mm -hmm. And then they subscribe to some belief around food. Maybe it was intermittent fasting or maybe it was keto. And then they just hardcore went there and yeah. stayed. Yeah. And there's application for these. This is potent yeah. medicine. I think that there's a time and place, but at least my understanding of the very limited research we have on women is this isn't a long-term fit mm -hmm. and not always a fit. And so I usually get them years into that when the wheels have fallen off. Maybe it was good in the beginning and now it isn't. And we have to relax around food and, yeah. br and bring in some, some fruit again. And it's pretty life-changing. What a crazy idea. <laughs> so uh, you, you mentioned, we mentioned vitamin A uh, mm -hmm. and we're obviously step one of our framework because we want people to be able to just start with something that's tangible and easy and get an easy win and reprioritize one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. We want people to eat organs, not just liver. Yeah. Liver is very popular in this space yeah. now, but also heart, kidney, spleen, etc. Where does organs kind of fit into you? Do you, are you recommending these to people trying to reclaim the health and, and you know, get pregnant and all of that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is part of the most nutrient dense foods we can offer, right? If our goal is give them the most nutrients in this meal that we can, we have to include organ yeah. meats in that conversation. I think, you know, obviously it benefits the person. It also benefits the system if we're eating nose to tail and yeah. adopting a more sustainable style of consuming animals. So if you look at any like ancestral nutrition information as well, they were often saving the organ mm. meats and giving them to the couples that were trying to conceive. So there's some magic to that that's been known for a long time. And, you know, working in the women's health space, largely in infertility, I'm like, well, we got to tap into that too. Yeah. And that's where it's so nice to get to meet brands like Heart and Soil, mm -hmm. where you're making this accessible to somebody that might either not be able to access it or not know how just mm -hmm. yet, maybe doesn't know how to prepare it. Mm -hmm. Maybe eating it is still like off the table for now. I'm I'm slowly working on that myself. There you go. <laughs> but there are options now, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is very cool. And I do think I I, I love to always look back at this kind of ancestral wisdom mm -hmm. that we seem to forget and this idea that these foods were prioritized and reserved for the the people that needed the most strength and vitality mm -hmm. is such a fascinating idea that we've now just thrown out of the window because ew, it's gross, right. you know? <laughs> so organs are in step two of our framework, eliminate processed food. We kind of touched on that. These yeah. are the these are the biggest source of these gut irritating foods yeah. that you mentioned. They're often coming with the seed oils that mm -hmm. can kind of wreck uh, the metabolism and also wreck the hormonal backbones because yeah. you're not designed to build your sex hormones off of you know, highly refined poofa seed oils, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> what is the um, what is the story or recommendation then if we've kind of included organs a little bit, we've got rid of processed foods and what's left now is a real food diet, mm -hmm. but in enters in the, well, what is the real food diet? Is it yeah. these big ass salads or is it more of these mm -hmm. animal proteins and eggs and maybe some raw dairy and honey and yeah. maple syrup? So in your work and in your kind of recommendations for women looking to thrive and potentially, you know, conceive and all of that stuff, do you have any loose frameworks around how much? Like, okay, this sounds great. It sounds <laughs> cool. Like how much, how, how many eggs should I eat? Should I? Yeah. Am I eating a little bit of beef or a lot? Is too yeah. much red meat? Should I eat chicken instead? Where, mm -hmm. where would you go there? Yeah, I mean, we prioritize a lot of red meat, like just a lot of ruminant animals for the nutrient profile. So we don't have a restriction mm -hmm. on red meat with the clients we serve. Nice. Same thing with eggs. I mean, yeah. man, if we're looking for bang for your buck as far as money spent, you can get some pretty good eggs pretty inexpensively, mm -hmm. although that's changed a bit mm -hmm. recently. It's why we had to get some backyard chickens. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So we want to make sure that we've got an animal protein at every meal is mm -hmm. what we're looking for. If we can squeeze something into some snacks too, great. But at least every meal should have a solid, you know, four to five ounces of animal protein. Um, we'll build in, you know, typically fruit, honey, dates, maple syrup as a easy to digest carbohydrate Beautiful. source in there. And then the nice thing about most animal products is you're getting some good fat in yeah. the mix mm -hmm. too. If there's room to add more, great. Mm -hmm. um, but it does come. Wonderful. Prepackaged. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Okay, so let's shift gears and let's talk about this uh, contraception conversation. Mm -hmm. And the one that's kind of leading the the fray here is 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 the pill, the contraceptive mm -hmm. pill. And there's other forms of contraception which we can get into too. But what's the story here? Like, where where did this gain, or how did it gain so much popularity? Why is nobody talking about these side effects? And now this kind of explosion of people realizing they were injured by it, and it's just kind of like inconveniently swept under the rug. Yeah. Well, this was FDA approved in the 60s, so it's been around for quite some time mm. now. And I think, you know, there were many iterations of the hormone dose in these pills over the years, some with more side effects, some with less. But I think the reason why this is more talked about now is that this is like the first generation of women that grew up with yeah. this option. And it's been prescribed for many things aside from contraception. And I know we were talking about this before we started recording. You know, I didn't go on this to prevent pregnancy mm -hmm. in high school. I went on this because I had some symptoms I didn't like. Mm. And basically, if you go to a doctor as a female with any symptom, it's like, here's some birth control. Mm. And maybe also here's an antidepressant. You know, we can wow. do both. Those were the options presented to me. And it's widely used because it may help temporarily prevent symptomatic cycles, mm -hmm. acne, um, kind of anything in that department, but that's not what it was designed for. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to note that those are not natural hormones present in, in hormonal birth control. They're synthetic. Mm. So the synthetic hormones, synthetic estrogen, synthetic progestins have very different action in the body. So when we were talking about estrogen and progesterone, we were like proliferative hormones, balancing them, supporting the thyroid. It's not what we get from synthetic hormones. So we've got that thing to consider. And then hormonal birth control works by suppressing ovulation. Mm. If we don't ovulate, we make zero progesterone. So now we've given up our endogenous hormone production and we're dealing with synthetic hormones. So we've got both, both issues at play. Yeah, it seems like uh, this, these synthetics are move away from what is naturally going to happen in the body mm -hmm. as a consequence of being a human and eating an appropriate diet. Yeah. And also the other very unnatural thing that you just mentioned is you, you basically just shutting down shutting the cycle down. And, it's and chemical menopause right what what's the consequences of that can't be good <laughs> no it can't it can't be good and i think the the hot process behind this is like if we have symptoms we don't like i'm gonna just take this and not deal with them mm. and like having a menstrual cycle is inconvenient for the way i want to live my life so i'm gonna just put pause on that mm. and we're designed a specific way for a specific reason you know these hormones this cycle the process of having a period serves very real purposes. So stopping that for years, if not decades, definitely impacts the person. And I think we're seeing this now with plummeting fertility rates mm. because the thought process here is I don't want my fertility right now. It's inconvenient. And then the day I want it, I want it to happen now. And we're surprised that it's not there. Hmm. So that's so interesting. How do you square the circle of that messaging that you just said in terms of it's just inconvenient. Mm -hmm. And and how much of that is like only a product of a very kind of go, 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 do, 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 like masculine driven culture mm -hmm. that is also 
maybe riding on the Trojan horse of, well, this is female empowerment. Mm -hmm. It's now giving you these, these abilities to, you know, go and be in the workplace and stuff. And, and some of that is amazing and great, but some of it's obviously unintended consequences and harms. Yeah. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah. I, I don't know who said this originally, but it's stuck with me and it's that birth control is bad feminism. Mm. Um, and if you think about the origin, you think about the 60s of this being largely on the market, you think about women entering the workplace in much larger numbers and striving to do anything a man can do. Mm -hmm. And like we can be promiscuous because we don't have to worry about unplanned pregnancy. We can work any job because we don't have the inconvenience of a menstrual cycle. Mm. You know, those ideas were sold to women as an opportunity for empowerment. We've got these opportunities now. We don't have to shoulder the burden of a pregnancy that we didn't want. And while I can celebrate the fact that, you know, women got to pursue things that maybe they didn't get to yeah. before, what did we get in return? Mm -hmm. You know, we got chemical menopause, we got synthetic hormones, we got all the health risks associated with that from blood clots to cancer risk, to heart disease, um, to anxiety and depression and infertility. And then we're left with what at the end? Yeah. So what did we really get? Was it freedom or was it another trap? Yeah. So it's something that I think about often. No, it's a very, <laughs> I think it's a very cool way of framing it. And it's what I often think about as well, because I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the same lines as you, like on one hand, this access to even education and employment that wasn't available until re re relatively recently in our history is something worthy of celebrating. And at the same time is like, what are we get? What are we actually getting from this and what's happening? And, you know, you mentioned something like infertility and there's also this, this conversation of declining birth rates and potential population collapse. Right. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, humans are a scourge on the earth. So good. And it's like, wait a bit, like, for the first time in history, um, women have uh, no children at the age of 30 mm -hmm. than they are with child. That's for the first time yep. since records have begun. So, you know, on one hand, that's because there are the economic stresses of needing two income households and all of that stuff. But it's also a consequence of that, right? I'm going to pursue Korea more than this. And maybe later I'll come back to it. But now my window is shorter. So mm -hmm. now maybe I only have one kid where a few generations ago we were three or four kids. Right. And all of this stuff is just interesting because it changed the landscapes of who we are as a species and a mm -hmm. culture moving forward. I know. And, you know, you have to think about the the marketing efforts behind this, too. And a, and a big piece of the education that I aim to provide is that birth control isn't your only option for minimizing symptoms or preventing pregnancy. It's actually pretty simple to do those things. Mm -hmm. And so it was presented as like, this is the one route mm. for freedom. Like we can pursue careers and educational endeavors and not have symptomatic cycles without birth control. Mm. That's just not what you're going to see an advertisement for. So it's a big education lack yeah. in that space. And what are some of those other ways to pursue the freedom then? Yeah, I think learning fertility awareness methods should be required education mm -hmm. for, for all people. I mean, even I, I think women, but men too, especially yeah. men that plan to be in partnership with women. Um, learning that skill set gives you so much freedom to know how your body works, to know where you are in your cycle so that you can prevent pregnancy or get pregnant if that's mm -hmm. your goal. And then knowing where you are in your cycle allows you to troubleshoot where those symptoms show up. Mm. So if you know my symptoms coming around this day, I can overlay that on top of a menstrual cycle chart and I can mm. see, oh, this is when estrogen is peaking. So that's where that symptom comes from. Or I feel really crappy after ovulation. Maybe I really need to support that progesterone production. Mm. So learning that skill set was a pivotal moment for me in my own hormone health journey. And it's something that we teach all of our clients. And there's all kinds of free education for yeah. that. Like you don't have to hire somebody for this. Yeah. It's there. I hope that maybe that'll be seventh grade health class one day, but That'd be cool, right now it? it's not. <laughs> yeah. 
it's like re reconnecting <laughs> you back to your womanhood right. in a way right. right like for since you were you know this big nobody's telling you about this stuff mm -hmm. you have to find it again you're like why do i not know my own body and what is I happening know. and most of the time it's a male doctor just saying oh well this is inconvenient so mm -hmm. here, here's this pill yep so the f fertility awareness method that mm -hmm. is basically understanding that there's a, a very small window yep. where you can actually get pregnant naturally right yep just six days six days out of a month mm -hmm. wow so yeah. Nobody knows that because I think the fear is that basically if it touches it, we can get pregnant. Yes. So that's why we need to be on the contraceptive pill all the time, right? Right. Yeah. So six six days, huh. um, which is a liberating thought. Yeah. And if you're somebody that's been trying to conceive for a while, you understand a lot has to go right for that magic mm. to happen. So um, acting as if it can happen at any time, any day of the month is pretty ridiculous. Interesting. Talk to me about the story around the contraceptive pill potentially changing mate preferences. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is some interesting stuff. It's relatively new and still small, small scale research here. But what they looked at was they took women on hormonal birth control and they showed them a battery of um, like male faces and pictures. And they raked them in terms of what they were most attracted to. And then they did the same test off birth control too. And what they found is that when women are on birth control, they're attracted to less masculine facial features. Mm. The, that's the mate that they would select at that time. And then that changes off birth control, which is fascinating. The other piece of this is that, you know, if birth control manipulates hormones and hormones manipulate how you interact with your surroundings, the people that you choose to have in your life, your mood, um, it's going to impact who you choose to spend your time with too. Like it's mm. changing your personality because it's impacting your brain. So I'm really interested in looking at studies of like success of marriage if yeah. birth control is in the mix and what happens if you meet somebody while they're on birth control and they come off late in the game, you know? Yeah, that could be <laughs> disastrous, right? Yeah. Especially if you've been long-term dating with the pill in question and now your reason for coming off is to get pregnant mm -hmm. and, and hopefully you're successful with that. But now you are not attracted to your partner in any yeah. way, shape or form and you've just threw a baby into the mix, which is... Going to test relationships it needs to be on the most solid ground imaginable. So right. that is very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's not small fish we're frying here when we're yeah. manipulating hormones. It affects the brain. So, yeah. Super interesting. Mm -hmm. It, how do you see it? Cause like I'm a man. So I understand maybe more of male physiology and perspectives. You're a woman, you're working more in the women's health space. But it seems to me, maybe this is a crazy idea that, women are being masculinized mm -hmm. and men are being effeminized mm -hmm. and like men are told their masculinity is bad and they're like being pushed to become more feminine mm -hmm. and women are basically being told like go compete with the boys do yeah. you kind of like get a sense of that's going on culturally too oh absolutely mm. it's it's um i even felt this way when i was in school you know it was never a plan of mine to want to have kids when i was in this um, hormonal birth control kind of chemical menopause state running on a lot of stress hormones no progesterone around and couldn't see the possibility of feeling differently and i think there's this um looking down upon the motherhood track oh. as like not pursuing something that's ambitious enough and you know i'm sad to say i even felt that way for a yeah. season of my life and that has since changed um, and I think a lot of that change comes from nourishment and hormone production because we can't see what else is possible. We mm -hmm. can't imagine bringing another life in if we can barely keep ourselves yeah, right. alive. So I totally agree. I think women are being treated as small men yeah. <laughs> and they need to go this path because that's the path of um, ambition. Mm. And then men are being feminized. Yeah, I, I really do see and resonate with that point you said about the just 
just being a stay-at-home right. mom as right. being um, almost denigrated. Oh, you're just, oh, when are you going to go back? Oh, you're not going back to work. Mm-hmm. Oh, is this this all you're going to do is yeah. just raise this kid? Then it's like, yes. I, I forget who it was. Maybe C.S. Lewis or something like that. He said, kids are not a distraction from the work. They are the work. Mm-hmm. And I think this pedestalizing motherhood again is something I would love to see so much because I've watched my wife become a mother um, Mm -hmm. and she's currently pregnant right now and it's the most incredible thing I've ever witnessed and she is just a stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. and she's doing it in her power so beautifully and there's a lot coming from what you said about the nourishment of the body the ability to do that and also relationship dynamics Mm -hmm. that she can do it because of this more classic masculine paradigm of I'm going to go out and kind of be the breadwinner and provide that safety so you can do this. And so that benefits our little nuclear family, which is also another topic of like the, the just the collapse of the nuclear family and these yeah. systems. And I just think you hit the nail on the head with that. And I wish more people would see motherhood as the work and not something that gets in the way of the work, you know? Oh, totally. And then just giving femininity and womanhood the reverence that it deserves and if we think back to even just this birth control decision of the menstrual cycle being a nuisance and something that i can just shut off if i don't want to have it that's rejecting femininity you Mm -hmm. know that's rejecting womanhood and maybe it's an inconvenient thing because there are some symptoms and that's a different conversation and things that can be troubleshooted but we just reject that and then it's not a surprise to me that less people want to have kids because mm-hmm. they're not in touch with that side of themselves at all. We've mm-hmm. like shut it off and repressed it and chemically shut it off if we're on birth control. So there's a big need to come back into ownership of the magic that is being a woman. And that, that is the full spectrum. It's the things that are maybe a little inconvenient and the magic of creating life. We yeah. don't just get to cherry pick. I love that. I was having a chat here with one of the guys at, at the studio last night. Shout out, Doug. And he said, uh, he relayed a quote where he said, a woman is, a man must become. Hmm. And he was talking about what you're talking about, like a woman already is so inherently beautiful and valuable if they can surrender to their femininity, not treat these things as an inconvenience. And the man must become kind of thing is the, there's a lot of boys out there, even adult men, they look like men, but they're acting like boys. They haven't really gone through this trial and tribulation. They don't have this ritual initiation process Mm -hmm. of a cycle or the potential for pregnancy. And they need to kind of grow up and go through something. And almost the coming of age story for a woman is to fully surrender back into that, you Mm -hmm. know, to be like, oh no, I am a portal for life. I am a freaking goddess who creates and destroys life. And how powerful Mm -hmm. is that? And in unfortunately, we just kind of see that as, yeah, oh, it's not that powerful. You should be a CEO instead. Right. I know. I know. It's funny, but it's sad. It is. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it is. So birth control isn't just the pill, right? right. There is other, other things, the mm-hmm. IUD and these other, I think there's patches and maybe mm-hmm. even an in- injection. Like, yep. are they equally as bad, a little less worse? I'm guessing mm-hmm. none of them are great. Yeah. I mean, I put anything that's providing synthetic hormones in the same category and you can get that in a, a number of forms. It can be a pill. It can be the Nuva ring, which is inserted. It can yeah. be um, an implanted device. It can be an IUD. Um, and they're all providing, you know, different balances of, of synthetic hormones. Some are both estrogen and progesterone. Some are just progestin. But the end result is the same of suppressing ovulation and your own hormone production. Mm-hmm. Now, we do have a copper IUD on mm-hmm. the market now, which is non-hormonal. So the plus being that we can preserve ovulation mm-hmm. while using the copper IUD. Ah, cool. So yay, it's great. you know, And it's very effective. Nobody's having to take a pill every day or remember mm-hmm. things. But I'm I'm not super keen on this idea either because we're implanting a device in the uterus. It's got a copper coil around it and it is effective because it creates so much inflammation that egg and sperm cannot meet. 
Oh, great. So it <laughs> feels like that's probably not a good move long term. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So ideally, in, in an ideal world, in a, maybe an idealistic future, you're just looking at women are given and empowered with this information a little bit more. They understand fertility awareness. They're practicing yep. more um, basic rudimentary forms of contraception if they need, right. like condoms, right. etc. And really just getting off of these altogether in an ideal world, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now let's... um. We, we talk a lot about habits on the show. It's step three of our framework too. So we've like kind of touched on, on the diet stuff, touched on this contraceptive pill, but you, you've teased this a little bit, this kind of mismatch, uh, the evolutionary environmental mismatch with our physiology, this, this conundrum of being in a very go, 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 uh, do, do, do world. Yeah. What are some unique needs from a habit perspective you think need to be paid attention to globally speaking, but very specifically as well for the female metabolism, the signaling of abundance again, what's some of the things that people should be thinking about looking at how they live their life, et cetera. Yeah. I, I think we really need to consider the pace at which we're moving through things. And you know, I'm a business owner as well. I've got big goals in that department of my life too. And I don't mean this to say we can't pursue the things we want to pursue, yeah. but the pace is really important. Mm -hmm. And I do think different women in different seasons have different capacities, yeah. but you have to be in touch with yourself to know that. So I would challenge anybody to think about like, how do I feel throughout the day? Yeah. Am I present? Am I where my feet are? Or is my mind running a thousand miles an hour? Am I like barely rem remembering to eat lunch? And I don't even chew it and just like down the hatch because it's all I had time for. Mm. And if that's how the day feels like frantic, scattered, not present, then we really need to slow things down and create opportunities for that, like coming back into the body. And some of my favorite things are like just be barefoot outside for yeah. a few minutes, hopefully while the sun's coming up so yeah. we can get that circadian rhythm entrainment from that too. And just like take a few real breaths like into your belly, not just this shallow, shallow chest mm -hmm. breathing that we do. And even just that, you know, having a post-it note on your computer that's like, breathe for real, you know? Yeah, hell, <laughs> it yeah. can just say breathe, you know? Yeah. Sometimes we're just holding our breath. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a big difference. I think the nourishment piece plays into this, of course, because we're getting off of stress hormones if we mm. stay adequately nourished. I think more time outside, less time on screens. I think the blue light uh, is, a, is a big problem for sleep and for our brains. So um, we can, of course, use blue light blockers, but the real... The real pro would be not being on screens that night yeah. a couple hours before bed. This is the OG blue light yeah, blocker is right. to just turn the bloody TV <laughs> off. Like, no. uh, maybe try a candle or something. Right. Yeah, candle? connect with a book or a mm -hmm. loved one or, or your body. You know, do a very gentle, like get down on the ground right. and connect again. Yeah. I I mean, we're sitting here on a little grounded mat under yeah. here because <laughs> we... I, huge fan of that too like ground and connect to nature connect to the earth look at the sunlight at the mm -hmm. appropriate times things like that i think again this idea of slowing down is very powerful um it's almost like slow is smooth and smooth can be fast yeah it doesn't mean that just because you move slower that your goals in business or whatever have to then you know increase 2x it, it might actually be able to go faster and smoother because maybe when you're creating which is a very feminine archetype in right. itself itself right the, the the element of creation that what if you're creating now from a place of integrity mm -hmm. and alignment and what you say just hits differently and what you create hits differently instead of being more scatterbrained and mm -hmm. frantic have you experienced that in your kind of like own coming of age as a business owner who's yeah. also trying to square the circle of also like staying in touch with her femininity and yeah. how are you personally trying to navigate that yeah um, there's been a big transformation in that kind of in the years of, of business ownership and realizing how 
much masculinity I was infusing in work because if I looked at examples of success, I was really looking at men. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at businesses run like men. And I was wondering why I was burnt out all the time and didn't feel like I was creating anymore. You know, you really can't be in creative flow if you're really rigid. So a part of this was, you know, building a team and delegating things and, and having help creating some masculine structure that's necessary for the success of the business, but allowing me to tap into the more feminine aspects mm. that actually got me into this work in the first place. You know, I love to create and to teach and um, and I felt like I was being a hypocrite because I wasn't doing so from a place of really being an embodied woman. Mm. So, you know, changing the pace, changing the goals, really questioning everything. Like, is this what I want or is this what I think I should want? Mm. Because everybody else tells me I should want it. Um, and so making adjustments there, changing like my schedule and how I'm moving through the day, um, infusing a lot more slow and time outside. And um, what's amazing when you slow down is some really mundane stuff all of a sudden has magic to yeah. it, mm -hmm. you know, like um, having to go out and let the chickens out of their coop mm -hmm. at sunrise could be an annoying chore. But it's also if you've got the time to slow down and like have your feet in the grass and you're listening to the birds and the sun's coming up, like I'm blown away by the magic of that because I'm present with yeah. it. So it's been like totally changed every aspect of my life. I love that. I, I've been doing Sunrise Club for the last probably close to six years at this point where wherever I am, even if I'm traveling, I'll, you know, set myself to the sunrise at the local time and I'll get up and uh, intentionally carve out that moment. And, and at my home, yeah. it's very similar to what you're describing. It's to go out, open the chicken run door and just look and take it all in and yeah. breathe and, and get quiet and get still and let, you know, that whatever is inside of us, that like inner wise self, you know, mm -hmm. have more space to create from. And I, th I think that life is a journey, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's a, it's a quest of sorts. And I love the uh, idea that if you want to go on a better quest, you must ask better questions. Mm -hmm. And and that sounds like what you've been yeah. doing. You've been asking better questions about not just physiology and all this sciencey stuff and helping people in that way, but also more of a holistic framework. And something I've seen you speak about on your Instagram is this idea or this framework of archetypes too. Mm. Um, I, I would love for you to touch on that a little bit uh, and you know yeah. what you've been noodling on there. Sure, yeah. So I, for the last several years, have been really just intrigued by um, like the divine feminine and the archetypes within that. So particularly the maiden to mother transition. And I read the book Maiden to Mother and I had this epiphany where I realized that that was the same work we do with our clients, you know, mm. serving women of childbearing age and getting them to a place of really nutrient depleted and scared and like reactive to life to a place where they're really grounded and tapped into this like inner well of knowledge and calm and um, have the option of bringing new life to this world. And I realized that that was the same thing. It's taking like the less mature feminine archetype, the maiden, which is reactive, which is um, relying on other people to tell them what to do. It is deriving worth from opinions of other people mm. to the more mature mother, which is, you know, self-sourced, which doesn't rely on other people's opinions. It's responsive to the world, not reactive to the world. Mm. And if we look at, you know, kind of on every level from hormones to even the cells, that's what that journey looks like of nourishment, of mineral repletion, of making enough progesterone. So I just really nerd out over that yeah. aspect. It's very cool. Again, it's something that I think can be sometimes lost in spaces where we can get too much into the weeds around 
minerals and micronutrients they're all mm -hmm. super super important sure. and i often think about you know this this consciousness this, that we have this awareness that it's carried inside of a body so the health of the body dictates maybe our ability to experience more of life or think clearly a brain that's inflamed and nutrient deficient mm -hmm. isn't probably doing those things very well but at the same time it's not all x's and o's it's mm -hmm. not all nutrition it is more of this mindset stuff it is more of this just like what's alive in me what's moving yeah. what makes me what resonates, you know, when I get into this and I'm like, oh, this is some good stuff here. It's yeah. kind of the, the remembering uh, that we've talked about before, you know, the remembering who we are, where we came from, not necessarily to romanticize that and go back to it, but also to remember that's who we are mm -hmm. as an animal, as a species. And if we lose it all together, I don't know, is that evolution or is it devolution yeah. or is it a collapse? So I don't know what it is. So it's really cool to see you approaching it from both angles very, very well. Yeah, thank you. It, it was like this aha moment because I was always looking for something more with the nutrition nitty gritty, the details. And that was a framework that made me realize it was a bigger picture than that. And I think, I don't know if it was like growing up with Harry Potter or what it was, mm -hmm. but I'm always looking for ways to infuse more magic into mm -hmm. the work that we do. And like, why not? Right. Like, this yeah. is your life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, life is pretty magical. Mm -hmm. Like, pregnancy birth right it's that's magic you know it's it's pure magic pure yeah. magic so uh, be more magical there's a there's a good little invitation <laughs> for you um i have a bit of a, a selfish curious question because i've seen you talking about this a bunch recently the mm. idea of tongue ties mm. my son had to get a tongue tie revised okay and it was pretty brutal because we didn't get it early enough so we had it done maybe when he was, I don't know, maybe one, one and a half. And that meant the night stretches every four to six hours, waking him up. And ooh, it was it was pretty traumatic. And it, it actually really then helped with his speech afterwards yeah. and his ability to take bigger bites of food without choking or gagging and things like that. But you're looking at it as well, not just in the yeah. baby, but like there could be many adults walking around mm -hmm. with tongue ties, right? What's the story yeah. with the whole tongue tie thing? <laughs> Yeah. So, so to be fair, I'm not a full blown expert in this yeah. space, mostly just personal interest right now, but it got on my radar because I had a client a couple years ago who like on paper did everything right. Dream client crushing it, but was tracking her heart rate variability. And we just never saw that much. It was mm -hmm. always not good. And she ended up seeing somebody and they were like, I think you I think you have a tongue tie. And then I was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing in mm -hmm. adulthood. And she goes down the path of um, myofunctional therapy and getting it released. And that day her HRV changed and like her life changed. Mm -hmm. All her symptoms resolved. And then I was like, oh my God, I think I might be missing something here mm -hmm. with other clients. So it kind of stayed simmering in the back of my mind. I didn't really resonate with her symptoms, so I didn't think about it. But I've dealt with a lot of chronic neck issues mm -hmm. um, for years and have done all of the things and really can't can't get on top of it and i realized through some accounts i follow that talk a lot about fascia and how like yeah. your tongue is literally connected to your feet through Bingo. one continuous sheet and if we've got restriction in oral tissue we're going to see that show up in compensation patterns elsewhere so i ended up going down the rabbit hole personally saw a myofunctional therapist yeah. had to see a dentist and an ent and found that i have a, a tongue and lip tie that's yeah. fairly severe um, and so I'm interested in getting it released and I'm also making sure that I've got the muscle repatterning and yeah. that I'm chewing and swallowing and breathing correctly and doing some of the fascia work too, so that it's hopefully not so brutal, but yeah. kind of where I'm at in it, but it's very interesting. It's very interesting, isn't it? To my, I saw the change in my son's face when he got it released. Mm -hmm. His, yeah. his chin was a bit sunken back and it protruded forward and yeah. his, his his nostrils almost got a little bit wider Believe and his uh, he, he was always breastfed he was breastfed until he was three but his latch got better yeah all of these things and it's just really interesting and then you start to like, oh, look i know here and i'm like oh i have one too <laughs> and what's going on here and 
there was an inter because I'm I'm not an expert either, but it's very fascinating because you yeah. start to look at like okay, what's going on here? Is it a, right. is it a, some kind of snip? And then you see that oh, there's something going on here with this MTHFR thing, mm -hmm. or maybe there's a, a folate de yeah. deficiency in pregnancy. So, you know, my wife's being a bit more clued in with that now, and and being uh, extra diligent about nutritional supplementation through yeah. the right prenatals, and of course organs and things like that. But yeah, is is uh, have you come across that as well a little bit that it could be nutritionally yeah. driven? Yes, because I've had the same questions. I'm like, why is this? such a big thing all of a sudden mm -hmm. granted maybe this is just a new thing that we're looking for and if you're looking yes. you're going to see it more but it doesn't seem like this should have been happening as often as it is so i've come across you know mthfr issues i've come across like high dose folic acid so yes. synthetic folate during pregnancy being part of it and we should have frenums like that's part mm -hmm. of development but they should be getting smaller as mm -hmm. we develop and so you know why are we having developmental issues there I think there's a lot of palate development problems too, mm -hmm. just with nutrition and breathing. And, you know, Weston A. Price yeah. did a lot of work in that space. Um, but another interesting thing I came across is how much our kids pattern their posture and their muscle development off of what they see in their parents' mm. faces. And the picture of someone with um, tethered oral tissue is like mm. constricted, you know, like we're tight. Everything is like narrow. The jaw is narrow. The palate's narrow. The shoulders are narrow. And if they're seeing that in parents, because maybe we dealt with some of those issues too, then they're modeling that posture. Mm -hmm. So what's been cool is I was listening to a couple of people talk about their own releases in adulthood, and it changed their kid's breathing pattern, even if their kid didn't get a release. Wow. They could just see it in the parents. So. Yeah. It's that modeling and mirroring thing, mm -hmm. right? And there's so much going on here because you mentioned Weston A. Price. And if you look through that book, uh, Nutritional and Physical Degeneration, and the study that he did, he basically went to a bunch of more kind of uh, tribal indigenous cultures before they were introduced to processed food. Beautiful wide faces, mm -hmm. um, breastfed babies, no yeah. toothbrushes, but great teeth. Yeah. And then this gradual narrowing. Um, and, and then, you know, how much of this is playing into, uh, of course, we've got this huge elephant in the room of the, the contraception and the nutrition, but rising rates of anxiety and depression mm -hmm. and what is associated with that is postural issues yep. like if you see a depressed person they're depressed and yeah. if you could release that you get people to stand up and and pull the shoulders back and improve the posture and you yeah. look at biomarkers happening within them there is a difference there it's mm -hmm. you know the old cliche you know stand up get your shoulders back lead with your heart like yeah. it, it manifests itself internally as well as externally so that's super fascinating stuff and Kind of one of the the last points and we'll get into some callers here i wanted to also address this <laughs> the vegan element in the room mm -hmm. uh, elephant in the room rather this idea that um we can do this uh it's it's the best way to do it that it's the optimal way to do it um and i think there is a lot more un un kind of hidden dangers here than we might be being led to believe but you're the expert here you've mm -hmm. probably seen these clients you've probably rehabilitated these clients what's going on with the hormonal picture as it relates yeah. to a plant-based diet yeah from from my professional experience it's very very hard to attain optimal hormone health on a plant-based diet and you know, I know the argument is that we can choose multiple types of protein to get the full right. amino acid profile. We can get beta carotene from from plants. But like we talked about before, that retinol piece is really, really important for a lot of different systems in the body. And we don't get retinol from plants. The other thing that tends to be pretty skewed in plant-based eating is the ratio between copper yeah. and zinc, which is another big deal for hormone production and just health as a whole. 
Um, and then there's all the issue of a lot of the anti-nutrients in plant foods. So creating pretty rampant deficiencies. So typically in our practice, we don't typically attract people that are still vegans, yeah. but we attract people that were vegans and they've started to incorporate a more animal-based eating pattern. And they're like, I'm a little lost and confused. I need mm. some help here. Or I've made the decision I'm going to do this, but I need some direction. So I've had the privilege of looking at a lot of micronutrient testing and hair tissue mineral analysis and even hormone labs for um, recently former vegans. And there's some pretty similar patterns across mm. them um, where we're not making much sex hormones. We tend to have a more estrogen dominant picture. Um, we've got deficiencies in things like B12 and zinc and vitamin A, these really important nutrients for hormone production. So I think it's very, very difficult to accomplish that on a plant-based diet. And you know, I hate to be super black and white with it. I'm sure there are some plant-based people that are yeah. feeling good. And, you know, my number one goal is that what you're doing is making you feel good. So yeah. if you feel good, like I'm not here Keep to interrupt you. Yeah, you got it. But if you don't feel good, I would encourage you to consider trying on something different to see yeah. if it could support you better. And something that I've seen a lot is that it's usually the early adoption of a plant-based diet. People will feel great. And it's like, yeah. well, yes, you stopped eating sausage and egg McMuffins for <laughs> breakfast and started eating beans and, mm -hmm. and more salads and less pizza. And is it more the removal of foods that were potentially problematic as it is opposed to the addition of uh, tofu or, or extra beans or something? And the wheels seem to fall off three to five years in uh, yeah. if, if, if people get that far. And maybe one of the issues is that the amount of attention that people pay to the diet in general is very low. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, if you remove some of the most nutrient-dense foods like beef and like eggs and like dairy, that now you're still not paying attention to your diet and you've removed a huge source of right. nutrients and now you're really going to struggle. Totally. And I think there's also the argument that it's better for animals or the planet to yeah. eat a plant-based way, which is patently not true either. So, you know, we do often spend some time on that education That's too cool. and that, you know, well-sourced animal products actually really benefits the animals, benefits the planet and the soil. And there's a way to do this that supports all systems. Yeah. Um, and getting away from that, like monocropping plant-based processed foods to yeah. something that is regenerative. I love that you do that too, because that that's health as well, right? Mm -hmm. We Health is an extension uh, outside of ourselves. And I think we've talked a lot about motherhood and the celebration of that today. And we say we come from mother nature, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe how we treat mother nature really matters too. Oh, yeah. That's the ultimate expression of the mother, right? Just complete yep. selfless loving and giving. You can poison my waters, you can destroy my lands, and I'll just keep giving to the capacity that I can give. And I just hope we don't get too far down that rabbit hole where the mother's got nothing left to give, you know, and yeah. we end up in a, in, a, in a pretty rough spot. So totally. voting with your dollar is a big, big thing. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I do think, you know, Mother Earth is a reflection of the fact that we've ignored the mother in humans too. And I read um, Wendell Berry's The Unsettling of America a while back, and he talked about how with farming, we treat fertility like an inconvenience, mm. and we use chemical inputs to manipulate that fertility on the land. And then he mirrored that with what we do in women, human That's women. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like this is the same problem. Yeah. That I've, I've always loved the play on words too. And there's like humus is soil and humus is like human and soil mm. is like soul. And I don't know whether there's any, mm. I'm just completely bro sciencing that, but it's <laughs> interesting to me because that's an interesting connection. Yeah. All right. That, that was, that was awesome. Thank you so much for your information. Um, I guess I, I'm going to move into the, qu uh, the questions really quickly here, but what I want to kind of close this section with is what should somebody be looking for as a potential red flag in their system that they need a little more TLC in this arena, mm -hmm. that they need to be looking at these things? What are some of the most common symptoms in your experience? 
Yeah, if you have irregular or absent menstrual cycles, huge light on the dash going off for you. And these symptoms are communication from your body. This is the only way your body can tell you something's up. So in a regular or absent cycle, if you have regular cycles, but they're really symptomatic, like you're in a lot of pain or you're missing out on life or work or, you know, having headaches, that would be a sign that we need some support. If you're feeling low on energy, Mm -hmm. if you're like, God, I just don't have this zest for life. I can do the things I have to do and I have nothing in the tank for things I want to do. Um, That would be another big sign that we've got to look at that. Cool. All right. Reflection, my friends. Take a look. Take a look under the hood so we can fix some stuff. All right. So now we transition into our callers. It looks like we got uh, three or four callers on the line. Awesome questions. This audience is awesome. They're very smart people. So uh, first up, we have Haley from Minnesota. Looks like uh, got some question around autoimmune disease here. So Haley, jump on the line. Let us know how you're doing. And uh, let's see what magic we've got for you today. Yeah, thank you. So I've had an autoimmune condition since I was about 10 years old. I'm 29 now. So it's called Hashimoto's Mm -hmm. hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. And one of my symptoms I have is called vitiligo. So it's where you lose your skin pigmentation. And over the years, it keeps spreading and getting worse. And I feel like I've tried every diet and healing approach out there for my health. And honestly, nothing has seemed to like really help with that. And unfortunately, all of this has really best with my hormones after having my twins two years ago. So I was intrigued by the animal-based diet and learning all about the beef liver and the raw dairy. I was just curious how an animal-based diet can help support this and support female hormones since our bodies are so uniquely different than men. Yeah, great question. And I just first want to say I'm really sorry that you've been dealing with this in such a young age. Um, And I'm sorry that this is also becoming more and more the norm. Um, You know, autoimmune conditions are definitely on the rise. And um, I want to answer this in a couple different ways. So when we're looking at supporting someone with an autoimmune condition, We want to think about the fact that the vast majority of your immune system is mediated in the gut. So anything we can do nutritionally to take care of your gut is going to be helpful from managing an autoimmune condition. So when we look at an animal-based diet as compared to the standard American diet or any other format, we're really choosing foods that are easy to digest, that are Mm -hmm. not creating a lot of workload on the gut, that are not putting a lot of toxins into the gut either and can actually help you bind toxins in the gut and remove them. So we do have some support for uh, an autoimmune condition from that standpoint. And then there's a couple really important nutrients that are abundant in an animal-based diet. Vitamin A we keep coming back Mm -hmm. to is a big one. That actually will increase the immune presence in the gut. Secretory IgA is a marker we look at in stool tests often, and vitamin A is a big part of bolstering that so that we've got strong, healthy immune presence in the gut. Um, Getting enough minerals from incorporating the fresh fruits, incorporating organ meats is a big part of the way our nervous system and immune system function. So we're looking at getting a lot more nutrient bioavailability from this form of eating without the insult on the digestive Mm -hmm. tract, which is really big. And then specific to women's health, I mean, we're looking at a diet that's providing raw materials for sex hormone production and minimizing stress inputs on the body, which is all we can ask for from a nutritional standpoint for women. How's that sound, Haley? Yeah, that's awesome because, yeah, I've been dealing with it since I was 10 years old and you're watching it mm. spread. You're like, okay, I'm trying everything, mm. but this makes a lot more sense. Um, and then how is it that you can start like an animal-based diet not feeling so restricted mm. in that area and trying to 
have more variety in food because as a busy mom too, it's hard to Mm -hmm. think of, oh, I need to get more protein in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's about thinking about what you can add versus what you need to take away. Mm -hmm. That's usually the way we like to look at it. And, you know, what foods in this animal-based eating model really excite you? What proteins would actually feel really good? What fruits maybe have you not included for a while that would be awesome to bring back in? Can we get really hyped about bringing some good honey in? Mm -hmm. What about that raw milk? I mean, God, when you have raw (laughs) raw Raw milk milk and maple syrup a little bit. Yeah, so there's so many like really delicious, nourishing foods we can bring in. So I would sit with that for a bit and think like, what feels good to me? What sounds good to me? What could I be really excited about bringing in? And that helps um, get out of that mindset of restriction for this. Because really, we've got a lot of options available to us and, yes. and things to try on. So I'd focus on what what's bringing you joy with the yeah. food. And I'll add to that, Haley, that... I think it's also focusing on what you get to have as a consequence of changing your diet, right? Your health back potentially, which is worth so much. And this language of, oh, I have to do the animal-based diet and it's so restrictive versus I get to. I, I get to choose nutrient-dense foods that are going to heal me and give me my energy back. And I think that shift is immensely powerful. We often focus on the restriction and the deprivation, but what if we focused on the celebration? To Kaylee's point, what if we focused on there is an abundance of delicious food here. We're not just on the beef and salt. You know, we're on the delicious raw dairies, the the many different proteins, the delicious fats. Um, I've been doing this for almost a decade and I am not bored of it yet. So it's every bite of food I take is delicious and it fuels me. So just focus on that and and then try it, you know, just adding a little more nuance here. My brother had vitiligo all over his lower legs and his feet and uh, it's barely recognizable these days. Now, what happened was he was on a standard Western diet and then he was vegetarian, uh, very plant-based heavy for probably a year, year and a half. Uh, and that's when it was at its worst. And he's now very much an animal-based eater. He's uh, been red-pilled by me <laughs> and it's basically gone. Um, I know Joe Rogan, the famous podcaster, has talked about this. He has vitiligo on his hands and he's talked about when he's removed a lot of these plant toxins and these un-gut-friendly un- foods, seed oils, etc., that it basically goes away and you can hardly see it. So I have uh, I have hope. I think that you can heal this stuff. I've healed my own like little autoimmune flare-up, psoriasis, that kind of stuff. And Food is medicine. So um, also what I wanted to get you, Haley, is a bottle of our beef organs to unramp you into the into the way of eating and get you those nutrient dense foods. So you can, you know, tease in, get some of those micronutrient deficiencies potentially starting to clear up and you're going to do great. So good job, Haley. Thanks for joining us. All right. Next up, Karen calling from Oregon. Got some questions here about carnivorism, oxalate dumping. So what's going on, Karen? Tell us the story. Hi, thank you. Um, I was doing a keto diet for a couple years, and then um, I switched to the carnivore diet. Loved it for a time. Loved the simplicity, everything about it. But then it was almost just right, probably about the six-month mark. Um, I had extreme oxalate dumping histamine intolerance and I was just stuck in the rut of thinking this is what I'm supposed to have I'll just do it harder Mm. I'll do (laughs) beef butter bacon eggs collagen bone broth lemon water electrolytes not realizing that all of those things were extremely high in oxalates um I mean histamines um and I saw my hormones tank my skin get crazy. 
um, lots of different issues popping up, and I just thought I have to stick to this. I'll intermittent fast. I'm a rule follower. I'll just do it to a T, which I did, and it just got worse and worse. So I've been trying to heal from that. Um, been animal based for a while, but I'm still dealing with histamine intolerance um, and the my skin issues. But I think the hardest part was I watched the muscle that I had waste away. Mm -hmm. And um, now I see like cellulite, horrible skin, and I feel like I can't regain that. I'm not seeing any improvement there. And I didn't know if I needed to focus on healing my gut first, um, take care of the histamine intolerance or how I just, how I get back to, um, just to being healthy and to being strong. Yeah. I have a lot of questions for you, but I just first want to say, um, <laughs> I can, I can empathize with the frustration because it's not for lack of effort, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're doing the things and you've been doing them harder, <laughs> like you mentioned. So the first question is, you know, how, how would you describe your eating pattern now? Um, are you still intermittent fasting? Are you incorporating carbs? Um, I haven't been intermittent fasting on purpose. Um, sometimes it happens. Um, and I have added carbs back in for sure. Okay. That was like my husband said, just add carbs. <laughs> like he, he watched me and he's like, this is not, this isn't working. But in my head, it's like all everybody's telling me this should work. So mm -hmm. I should just do it longer. Yeah, I get that. Um, do you have an idea of how how much carbohydrate you get in now? Um, I don't. Okay. I really don't, no. It's just something that stood out to me, particularly when you mentioned, you know, like the muscle wasting and change in like the skin texture. Um, this is something that we do see quite a bit when someone is under eating as mm -hmm. a whole, particularly mm -hmm. under eating carbs. And it's like you're putting in all this effort. Maybe you're even training in order to build muscle, but you're just not seeing the return on that investment. So I'd be making sure we're eating enough total calories. And then I'd play around even increasing that carbohydrate intake a bit and see how you feel from that. And then on the histamine side of things, what were the primary symptoms that you were dealing with? Um. A lot of skin issues, itchy skin. Um, I was really hot, like sweaty, mm -hmm. um, it, like internally just felt like on fire. Uh, hair loss. Um, my nails, my fingernails were brittle, kind of wavy. Um, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Constipation, I'm not sure if that goes with mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, so the constipation piece is something to hone in on if that's still present, because that's how we're taking the trash out, so to speak. So anything that we're dumping to get rid of is going to be more symptom inducing if we're not having at least one to three well-formed bowel movements each day. So, you know, we can look at hydration and mineral status mm -hmm. for that. And then also eating enough. You know, that's a big part of it, too. We can't expect daily bowel movements if we're under eating. Um, another thing I wanted to mention to you is something that does happen on healing journeys quite often, and it's like the idea of a healing wave um, where we've got some symptoms that can come in, even if we're moving the needle in the right direction, because maybe we're breaking down fat tissue that had a lot of estrogen in it, and we've dumped estrogen into the system. And with estrogen comes histamine, so we tend to see mm -hmm. flare-up of histamine symptoms when estrogen is higher. 
And that can be cyclically, like throughout the menstrual cycle, if you notice symptoms ebb and flow, or it could have been, you know, part of the healing journey that you're on. But a couple things that can be helpful from a histamine standpoint, in addition to eating enough and getting enough carbs, um, looking at your mineral intake. So plenty of fresh fruit for those minerals, maybe even looking at some electrolyte or mineral powders mm -hmm. to, to um, offset that. And then um, kidney would mm -hmm. be a really good organ to consider bringing in if you're not already. Um, there's an enzyme that degrades histamine in the body called DAO or mm -hmm. DAO, and that's really high in kidney. Um, and that has been a game changer for some histamine clients. Yeah. Kaylee took the words of my mouth. One of the things that I really wanted to offer you as a, as a helping hand here is a, a bottle of uh, histamine and immune for that very mm -hmm. reason. But yeah, just echoing everything that Kaylee said, because I think... Um, what I was picking up more than anything else is this big overarching stress piece of mm -hmm. probably a lot of chronic undereating, unbalanced macros, and it's just too stressful. The muscle wasting that comes with that, the texture of mm -hmm. the skin that comes with that. So I would seriously consider just trying your very best to increase the total amount of food in the most nutrient dense form possible. And if it's hard to eat that much, because this is a, an issue some people run into sometimes, especially when they've been carnivore for a long time, protein, fat, very satiating. So they just feel like they don't want that much food. And that could be argued that that's kind of also thyroid slowing down because of the stress and the healthy appetite is a good thing. So maybe you need to switch a little bit more to like liquid calories too, like drink a big glass of raw milk with each meal, have some fresh fruit juices, like nourish, 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 because I think that the path out of this is nourishment. It's getting your fuel back in the tank and the body's probably just been stuck in that place of scarcity that we've talked about so much today. So is that, is that helpful, Karen? Does that give you some good ideas to chew on and we'll get you a bottle of histamine and immune? That is excellent. Yes, the point of the detox and constipation mm. and getting the toxins out, that's something I've recently been um, diving into because it's true in my head. They said, well, you're eating um, nutrient food like a carnivore that you don't have waste. Well, that was really not helpful for me. Mm -hmm. And... Um, yeah, and I think I also when I have raw milk and or fruit, I am in that mindset that just a little bit like uh, four ounces of milk and I just in my head, I can't get out of that. Like I do, I would drink more, but I feel for some reason that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So eating more is definitely something I need to focus on take this as your permission slip we we would love you to uh, to see you eat a little bit more and drink a little bit more and look baby step your way into this if you're at four ounces and you don't feel comfortable jump into a big 12 ounce glass don't do that but let's see if we could move it to six and then you'll see that oh actually you know nothing crazy is happening the wheels aren't falling off if anything i'm feeling better so let's see what eight feels like and just slowly slowly you know little by little a little becomes a lot so thank you very much for your your questions and best of luck on your continued healing journey karen all right, we got Kelsey from Michigan. She wants to talk fat. What's happening, Kelsey? Tell us a story. Hey, guys. Um, thanks for having me on. So I am going into my senior year studying psychology and neuroscience. I'm very interested in the brain, but uh, through all of my health issues the last several years, I've become also really interested in, in hormones and mm. um, physiology and all of that. And... So I've been curious, um, I wanted to ask, how does dietary fat intake help our steroidal hormone balance? Because I know our steroid hormones follow from the cholesterol pathway, but I also know that our brain makes cholesterol on its own. 
So I was curious if you could kind of clarify what the role is of dietary fat in that. Sure. That's a really good question. So I think, um, you know, dietary sources of fats are providing, of course, some building blocks in the terms of in the form of fat and cholesterol, but they're also providing fats that make your cell membranes, which mm -hmm. is a really important aspect of hormone health that doesn't typically get a lot of airtime. So if our cell membranes are not healthy and open for business, we could be making great hormones, but we're not having them interact with the cell receptors. It's one of the biggest issues with the seed oils mm -hmm. being the biggest comprisor of our, our cell membranes. So that's one piece of it. The other thing is that our dietary fats are how we absorb fat-soluble vitamins. So we've talked a lot about them throughout today's episode and how important they are for hormone production and creating safety in the body. So it's not just about the dietary fat itself turning into hormones. There's an aspect of that, but it's the nutrients that come with it and the healthy cell membrane structure. Very cool. And and Kelsey, what's okay. your what's your current like dietary approach? Are you trying to do something like an animal based diet? Are you thinking about these topics that we spoke about today? Are you throwing some organs in the mix? What's going on? Yes, yeah. So it's been kind of a crazy year. Um, so I did carnivore a bit out of desperation last summer because I was having debilitating autoimmune issues because supposedly my immune system was attacking. Um, two types of tissues in my brain or my nervous system. And mm -hmm. so I would be intermittently paralyzed throughout the day and my mm -hmm. limbs would just stop working. And it was <laughs> a bit um, to life. And carnivore put that into remission. Mm -hmm. um, so I've had no issues since then. I have been able to tolerate more food. Um, the last four months I was living in England. So I was kind of eating all the things and have not had any flare-ups surprisingly but definitely didn't feel well so since being back in the states um just as of a week ago i'm sort of transitioning back into animal-based um i'm still considering a higher fat meat-based approach because i seem to still have a lot of issues with um tolerating swings in glucose um so, like, I don't tolerate super high fructose fruits, like bananas and stuff, um, but, or even honey sometimes causes that as well. So, um, so I know I do better on a higher fat approach, but my body's still getting used to that a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, but I'm having a lot of issues with um, my hormones generally. Um so a lot of menstrual irregularities that no one can really figure out. Um, I did, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Dutch mm -hmm. cycle mapping, um, but I did that last fall and I was completely flattened, mm -hmm. like zero, like post-menopausal levels of estrogen and progesterone. So my doctor put me on some exogenous progesterone, which helped things for a few months and I'm still back to being irregular and it's sort of mysterious and so I'm yeah I'm curious on how um I always feel better when I'm higher fat mm -hmm. but I'm curious what the long-term effects would be both beneficial and you know maybe not beneficial um for hormone purposes yeah it so. sounds like a lot of stress mm -hmm. in the mix. and you're in school right like senior year which is stressful too it sounds like there's been some travel and the stress of trying to troubleshoot symptoms that are popping mm -hmm. up like that is working on your health is is can, can be stressful so i think 
it sounds like you're moving the needle in the right direction. It sounds like things are improving, which is awesome. And, you know, the important part is that you continue to play around with it. I think it probably will be important to get some carbohydrates in there. Mm -hmm. I think when I'm hearing the really flatlined hormones, that's that stress picture and trying to think about how we can get off those stress hormones. And typically there's some carbs in the mix there. Um, but it's slow and steady with that too. You know, there's some work to do on the gut and getting that used to metabolizing carbohydrates. And, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, sounds like you're moving in the right direction. Yeah, definitely healing is uh, not linear. It's mm -hmm. rarely as quick or as smooth as we would like it to be. But, you know, to echo uh, Kaylee's points there, I think, yeah, just finding the fruits and the carbohydrate sources that you are able to digest well and, you know, kind of using those as your little foundational pillar to hold on to so we can signal that abundance. And just hearing about the, you know, pretty wild neurological symptoms you was experiencing, I'm, I'm super fascinated and excited by the product we've got here, Mood, Memory and Brain, which actually has desiccate brain in it, which has, again, this energy of like for like. So I'd like to shoot you one of those over as well, because I think it would be really cool. Um, so yeah, just keep doing what you're doing, keep making these iterations and continue uh, healing Kelsey and just stay with it. You're, 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 I feel like you're almost there. Mm -hmm. So keep going and manage that stress. Okay. Mm -hmm. if you can. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, we've got a Texas native who is Zoe and she's got some questions about, uh, the, the cycle or the phases of our cycle. So Zoe, expand on that a little bit and let us know, uh, what we can do for you. Yeah. Hi y'all. Thanks for taking my call. My, um, my question is about how a women, women's nutritional requirements or needs might change depending on the phase of the menstrual cycle that we're in and you know so you know how might my macros need to be adjusted from one phase to the next that's a great question love that question yes so i, I want to start with it's not always necessary that we tweak macros from phase to phase in the cycle. I'd say this is like varsity level, you know, like if we're looking at the the basics, we can be pretty much the same throughout the month. But if we're looking to really take things up a notch, mm -hmm. like our foundation is strong, then we can start to get this specific. Um, but this idea is because in each half of the menstrual cycle, so the two weeks before ovulation and the two weeks after, have a completely different hormone environment. So the first two weeks is very estrogen dominant. That's what eventually triggers ovulation. And estrogen actually makes us more insulin sensitive mm. in healthy amounts. We can get estrogen dominant and it starts to end up being a, it's a Goldilocks situation. But mm. in that follicular phase, the first two weeks, so from day one of your period to ovulation, you might notice that you tolerate carbohydrates a little bit better. You might notice that you can train a little bit harder. You might be hitting some PRs in the gym. You might tolerate higher intensity training because of that effective estrogen. And then once ovulation happens until the start of the next period, we've got mostly progesterone around, or we should. And progesterone actually increases our metabolic rate because it stimulates the thyroid. So our calorie intake can be a little bit higher in those second two weeks. We tend to do better with a little bit more fat, a mm -hmm. little bit less carbohydrates because we lose the insulin sensitization of estrogen. Um, and so you might notice that you tend toward more lower intensity training in the second half of the cycle, maybe not hitting PRs in the second half maybe um, more walks, more like classic strength training where we've got rest intervals, maybe yoga, Pilates, that kind of stuff. So it typically looks like that across the menstrual cycle. That's really cool. Could that explain like the different phases of the cycle also like a little bit more bloat and, that, mm -hmm. and those kinds of things too? Is that kind of what's going on? Absolutely. Because those hormones affect motility yeah. and fluid retention. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Is that helpful, Zoe? Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really interesting and helpful to kind of take a bigger 
a bigger picture perspective to it. Um, it's been on my mind recently because mm. I just recently weaned my baby from breastfeeding. Mm. And so things have changed so much mm-hmm. and my caloric needs have changed. And um, so trying to settle into my new normal. Yeah, that's a really, um, a really good perspective and big picture approach to carry with me. So thank you. Beautiful, Zoe. One thing I'll add there just from my personal perspective of watching my wife go through this. Um, obviously, good job, mama, for breastfeeding and all of that stuff like electrolytes, minerals, all that stuff uh, that, that we hammer all the time and micronutrients. So I'm curious, are you doing any organs in the diet right now? Yes, I have recently been doing um, gut and digestion package. Beautiful. Okay, cool. So let's yeah. get you uh, a little more diversity in there then, and we'll get you a bottle of uh, broad spectrum nature's multivitamin, uh, the beef organs. And thanks for everything that you're doing, Zoe, and best of luck continuing to heal and thrive. And uh, that is it for callers, Kaylee. Good job. Awesome. We smashed it. Okay. Well, you smashed it. I just kind of like put a little bow on it at the <laughs> end. So kind of outro phase, what do you want to let people know? Is there anything that's still on your mind, a burning thing that you want to tell anybody or just Mm. sending people where they can find you, what you're excited about, all that fun stuff? Yeah, I think think the last thing I would like to say is just to remember the power that you hold and like you are so capable of healing from things, of feeling better, of tapping into that femininity. Um, So just remembering that you're magic, I think would be my last thing I'd like to say. And then you can find me on Instagram. It's mm-hmm. at Kaylee RD. My name is spelled kind of weird. It's K-A-E-L-Y. And my website is the same. And if you listen, I'd love to hear what you thought. Yeah, love that. And we'll get everything in the show notes and all the links and all of that fun stuff. But definitely hop over to Kaylee's Instagram. Say hello. Slide into those DMs. Let her know <laughs> what you enjoyed about the show. And uh, yes, remember that you are magic. What a beautiful statement to finish on. So thank you very much for doing this. Thank you for being our first female guest on the show. Show will run it back in the future. Thank you. Thank you. And crew, thank you for joining in. Thank you for your awesome questions. We'll see you next week. Peace out. All right, friends. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radical Health Radio. We got a fresh new podcast for you every Wednesday. If you enjoyed the show, consider liking, subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on your podcast platform. It helps to spread this message of Radical Health. We'll see you next week.